What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the JT Sports Podcast. I'm your host, JT. Week three NFL reactions on tap. We're going to be discussing Chiefs, Bears, Cowboys getting stunned by the Arizona Cardinals. This has been a really crazy season. All right, because, I mean, we expected the Arizona Cardinals to be tanking for Caleb Williams. So why the hell are they so competitive so early into the season? Because they beat the Dallas Cowboys, but let's not overlook how they nearly beat the Commanders and the New York Giants in week one and week two. Maybe we kind of rolled off Jonathan Gannon a little bit too soon because this looks like an incredibly well-coached football team. Don't know how you guys feel about the Arizona Cardinals, but this is a team that maybe when Kyler Murray comes back, they could surprise some people because they already don't really have that great of a team on paper. So for them to be performing at this level is really surprising. And imagine how good they can be when K-1 returns. But thoughts on Cowboys, Cardinals, the Steelers, Clobbert, the Las Vegas Raiders. Shout out to the Steelers. Here we go. Two straight wins. We're also going to be talking college football you shouldn't be riding off Clemson just yet. I know they lost the FSU. They fought the 0-2 in conference play for the first time since 2010. But there's still a lot of reason to be high on Clemson football moving forward. I think they can turn their season around. Alabama smash Ole Miss. Is Lane Kiffin overrated? I asked you guys that question earlier. And over 88% of you guys said, yeah. And then is Texas on upset watch? Because you know who rolls into town this week? That bad man, Jalen Daniels. You know, Kansas, they're not just a basketball school. They're a football school too, people. Everything that we're going to be talking about, make sure that you guys go ahead and listen to the audio versions available on all podcasting platforms, Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you get your podcasts from. You can find the JT Sports Podcast. This episode, when it concludes, it's going to be available on all podcasting platforms, wherever you get your podcast from. So go ahead and check out the JT Sports Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you want to support us, give us a five-star review on Apple and Spotify. We will greatly appreciate it. We're trying to get to 100 five-star reviews by the end of this month. Go ahead, give us a five-star review, JT Sports Podcast, available wherever you get your podcast from. And lastly, follow us on Instagram and X at JT Sports underscore. You can find us on Twitter at JT Sports underscore underscore is our X hashtag or username, whatever they call it. And at JT Sports underscore is our Instagram account. Pray for the Chicago Bears, man. They got demolished by the Kansas City Chiefs 41 to 10. And this was a really easy game for the Kansas City Chiefs. It looked like their offense was practicing against air. The Bears defense looked like a JV high school team. It was 34 to 0 at halftime, man. And, you know, Kansas City, even though they were expected to win this game by double digits, you didn't expect this game to look so easy for them. I mean, Patrick Mahomes looked absolutely flawless. He could do no wrong. 24-33, 272 passing yards, three touchdowns, no picks. He didn't get sacked once. The rushing attack averaged over four yards per attempt. 
Clyde Edwards-Alaire was really impressive. Isaiah Pacheco had a really nice game. And overall, as a team, Kansas City accounted for 153 total yards rushing on the ground. And they went 10-14 on third down. Like, the Chicago Bears, they might need to just burn this thing to the ground, fire everybody, trade everybody, and just go ahead and rebuild. Because this was a really ugly loss. And defensively, I mean, we know that Kansas City's defense has been on the tear this year. This has been the best defense that speed, that Steve Spagnola has had up to this point being the D.C. in Kansas City. But damn, you talk about clamping up an offense. How about this stat? Chicago only had 99 yards passing from Justin Fields in this game. I mean, they had three sacks. And Chicago had more success running the ball than they did throwing it, even though they needed to throw the football to win this game. You look at Kansas City right now, and you ask yourself, is this still a team that should be viewed as the front runner to make it out of the AFC? Absolutely, yes. And there's only so much you can take away from the Kansas City Chiefs because they are playing against one of the worst teams in the NFL. But you look at Miami putting 70 on the Denver Broncos and Kansas City hanging 41 on the Chicago Bears. I am just in complete disbelief at how bad the Chicago Bears are this season. A lot of people didn't expect much from Chicago, but did you expect them to be as bad this year as they were last year? Because the way they are playing right now, they probably could be in contention to get the number one overall pick for the second straight year in a row. I mean, this team is an absolute disaster. Fire everybody. Ryan Pauls, he has to go. The free agency acquisitions aren't panning out. Justin Fields, you got to ship his ass off too. He may not be a bust. Somebody else may be able to save him, but I think for the Chicago Bears, you need to start over at QB. Caleb Williams will be a good starting point for you. Matt Eberflus, he has to go. He's a defensive-minded head coach, and they got arguably the worst defense in the NFL. The Bears are a complete disaster. All right, and if this game didn't confirm this, wait until next week. Because we got the Denver Broncos taking on the Chicago Bears, and... Next week's matchup for the Chicago Bears is pretty much going to make or break this season. This is why I'm not quick to come on here and say the Bears season is over, even though it looks like it's over. But depending on if they can beat the Broncos next week, is going to decide if they should go ahead and throw the damn towel on this season or if they can turn this thing around. But it's not looking good for Chicago. And you can't even... Make no more excuses for Justin Fields. He didn't play well in this game, but the whole team around him didn't play well. The coaching staff, they didn't look like they had this team prepared. The play calling was abysmal. I mean, we thought that we were going to see Justin Fields utilize more in this game like how he was last season, but we didn't. I mean, the Bears tried. He did get more rushing attempts, but other than that, I mean, this offense didn't improve at all. The Bears are the worst team in the NFL. They're worse than the Arizona Cardinals. Can you imagine that? Imagine the Arizona Cardinals, a team that's projected to have the worst record in the NFL, who has the least talented roster in the league, winning the game before you do. And they did it against the Dallas freaking Cowboys.
it's a mess in the Windy City right now. There are a lot of tough conversations that need to be had about every single position on this team. I mean, everybody who was penciled in as a starter for the Chicago Bears in last week's game needs to be competing for their starting job next week against the Denver Broncos because this team played awful in this game every single position if you were grading every single position from quarterback to cornerback everybody would have a f plus performance for the Chicago Bears in this game they made this game look way too easy for the Kansas City Chiefs it looked like they was just having another day of practice you feel me this is supposed to be an official NFL game but Kansas City treated it like it was the preseason damn near at least it looked like it so the Chiefs roll through the Chicago Bears. The Bears still have yet to win a game this year. And it looks like this team is on their way to once again having a number one overall pick for the second consecutive year in a row. The Arizona Cardinals shocked the Dallas Cowboys 28-16. I thought that this season was already getting chaotic. But you mean to tell me that the Arizona Cardinals won the freaking game? And this game being against the Dallas Cowboys, I don't care who was injured for the Dallas Cowboys because at the end of the day, the Arizona Cardinals are expected to be the worst team in the NFL. They are supposed to be tanking for Kayla Williams. What the hell is Arizona doing right now looking like a solid football team? They beat the Dallas Cowboys in this game, but let's not forget that their losses against the New York Giants and the Washington Commanders were all decided by less than a touchdown. This has been a competitive football team. This does not look like a team that looks like they're trying to tank at all. They're trying to win. And if the ball would have bounced in their favor in their previous two matchups, they could easily be 3-0. I mean, you talk about a masterclass performance out of Jonathan Gannon and his coaching staff. Mike McCarthy and Dallas got outcoached. You Cowboy fans can deny it all you want to, but the most important stats in this game were penalties and what Dallas was unable to do inside of the red zone. Dallas had way more penalties than Arizona. They had 13 penalties for 107 yards, and they went 1-5 of five inside of the red area. Easy way for an upset to occur. In Arizona, their first five drives offensively in this game resulted in points. Joshua Dobbs, this man continues to surprise me. He looks like a starting quarterback. He may not be a starting quarterback when Kyler Murray returns, but I definitely think if you're somebody who needs a low-end option at quarterback just to get you through the season, such as the New York Jets, Joshua Dobbs is a really good option, and his athleticism surprises me as well. I remember watching him at Tennessee. I knew he was a good athlete, but I never knew he had wheels like this. There was a play really early in this game when it was a read option. Michael Parsons crashes down, and Joshua Dobbs pulls in, and he gets a really big game. And James Conner, you know, I have to give James Conner his roses because he quietly is one of the better running backs in the NFL would you consider James Conner to be a top 10 running back because he looked like it in this game 98 rushing yards he was averaging seven yards per carry do you know how sick it was to see James Conner playing this game he was averaging nearly a first down every two carries 
The Dallas Cowboys run defense was supposed to be really good this year. They did a lot of they spent a lot of time during this offseason trying to revamp this run defense. That's why they drafted Monty Smith in the first round of this past year's NFL draft. But this run defense was non-existent in this game. James Conner had a really good performance. Rondell Moore, he had a 45-yard touchdown run. And that goes to show you the creativity of the Arizona Cardinals offensive coordinator putting Rondell Moore in different positions to take advantage of his strengths. And one thing that Rondell Moore excels greatly at is being really fast and agile, and he has really good short area quickness. And the Arizona Cardinals have found ways just to give this man the ball, something that Cliff Kingsbury had a hard time doing. You know, this was a masterclass performance out of the Arizona Cardinals. It doesn't matter who the hell was down for the Dallas Cowboys. The Cowboys were out a couple of offensive linemen, but the Arizona Cardinals were down a couple of starters on the defensive line. So there's really no excuse. And the Dallas Cowboys, regardless of who played and who didn't, they still were a more talented team than the Arizona Cardinals. And the Dallas Cowboys, this loss doesn't really mean much for them. When you look at the bigger picture of things, every team has a loss or two that they suffered throughout the year that kind of makes you scratch their head. We know the Dallas Cowboys are still one of the best teams in the NFL, but I definitely think that this loss showed us that Dak Prescott isn't the great quarterback that Cowboy fans make him out to be. Anytime the game is on the line and you need Dak Prescott to come up with a big play for you, he just comes up small more times than not. I'm not saying that Dak Prescott doesn't have the clutch gene in him. I'm not saying he's not clutch at all. I'm just saying that more times than not, anytime I watch the Dallas Cowboys and they need Dak Prescott to deliver a game-winning drive or put him in position to win the game, he folds so often. You remember against the Jacksonville Jaguars last season when he threw that pick six? Well, in the red zone late in this game, the Dallas Cowboys need a score to keep them within one possession so they can have a chance to win this game but instead Dak Prescott throws a dumb interception and double coverage where I don't know who the hell he was looking at who he thought was open but it ended up being an interception and it pretty much sealed the game for the Arizona Cardinals you know Mike McCarthy and his staff I mean, I have a little bit of concern about them. I know this is going to be a playoff team, and my concerns don't lie with if this team is going to make it to the playoffs. It's going to be, what is this team going to do when they make it to the playoffs? You know, you get an out coach by the Arizona Cardinals and Jonathan Gannon, that's concerning. This wasn't one of those games that, you know, you lost by a late field goal or you lost by a fluke call. Like, you outright got outplayed and outcoached by the Arizona Cardinals. It doesn't matter who the hell was injured. I mean, you still lost to arguably the least talented team in the league. There's no excuses for this loss. Now, at the end of the day, this loss doesn't tell us that the Cowboys are frauds or anything like that but it definitely tells us that this is a coaching staff that has the tendency to get out coached on any given weekend that can happen to majority of coaching staffs out there but I don't think you're going to see Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers getting out coached by the Arizona Cardinals the way that Dallas did it's just like when it comes to some of the best teams in the league and some of the best coaches in the league, you know that even if they have a little bit of a 
slow performance against a team that they're supposed to blow out or a team that they're supposed to beat, they still find ways to win. The Dallas Cowboys couldn't find a way to beat the Arizona Cardinals the way that the Giants did or the Commanders did. And I think that maybe the injuries that they suffered and the loss of Trayvon Diggs for the rest of the season maybe had demoralized them from a morale standpoint going into this game. And that's why they came out looking a little flat. But there's some concerns in this game that I take away looking at the Dallas Cowboys moving forward. And this coaching staff definitely is one of them. I still think that this will be a playoff team because of Dan Quinn and how good this defense was. But this offense can look really bad at times. And this red zone offense in this game is really alarming. So if there's something that you should take from this game that possibly could be an issue for the Cowboys for the remainder of this season, I definitely think that red zone offense is going to be one of them. The Arizona Cardinals didn't have a fully healthy defensive line, and yet they kind of had their way with the Dallas Cowboys offensive line at times. You know, the Arizona Cardinals, maybe we seem to have overlooked and maybe we read, we written off Jonathan Gannon just way too soon because when he first got hired by the Arizona Cardinals, a lot of people labeled it as a bad hire. Many Eagles players didn't even like him when he was the defensive coordinator. Well, right now, he's proven a lot of those doubters and detractors wrong because they won this game, and they also very well could have won their previous two games also. The Cowboys, they couldn't execute in the red zone. Dak Prescott didn't have a good performance in this game. That late interception pretty much sealed the deal. And the Cardinals just look like a better coach team than the Dallas Cowboys. Were they the more talented team in this game? No, but they were more prepared and they had better coaching in this game. And that's a large reason why I believe the Cardinals shocked the Dallas Cowboys. And I think that the Cardinals moving forward aren't just one of those teams that you just look at on your schedule and it's going to be an easy win. Your first, the first three games of their season should tell you everything that you need to know about Arizona. Even if this team isn't all that good and maybe they only win three or four games, you can bet every single dollar in your pocket that a lot of these games that Arizona's going to play in this year are going to come down to the last drive or one possession games. And I'm really excited to see how good this team looks when Kyler Murray comes back fully healthy. I mean, Arizona, they're 1-2, and two, and it's a big surprise because this team I thought was going to be a 0-3 team up to this point, and I thought that they were going to get blown out in every single game. But the fact that they got the worst roster in the NFL and they're hanging with the New York Giants and the Washington Commanders and they're able to pull off an upset win over the Dallas Cowboys shows me that Jonathan Gannon is a solid head coach, and he has assembled a really good coaching staff. And this reminds me... Similar to when Brian Flores was the head coach of the Miami Dolphins during his first year. You remember when they got blown out in a couple of games early, but then they started to compete later on throughout the season. And a lot, a lot of people thought he should have been coach of the year because the Dolphins won a couple of games despite having the worst roster in the league and expected to not be a good team. I think we could see a similar story with Jonathan Gannon in Glendale, Arizona, but the Cardinals shocked the Cowboys 28-16. Let me know how you guys are feeling about this win from the Arizona Cardinals down in the comment section. 
down below. The Steelers get their second straight win, beating the Las Vegas Raiders 23-18 on Sunday Night Football. This was the Steelers' best performance on offense so far throughout this season. And even though the offense still didn't look great, at least this offense looked serviceable at times. Now, the defense still won the day for Pittsburgh. They had three interceptions on Jimmy turning the ball over Garoppolo. I mean, you look at a quarterback and you just ask yourself, you know, what do I want out of my starting quarterback? Well, you want your starting quarterback to not lose you the damn game when you have the opportunity to win it. And that's what Jimmy Garoppolo did. I mean, the final offensive possession for the Las Vegas Raiders, Jimmy Garoppolo throws an interception, his second to the same player and Levi, Levi Wallace. And I just look at Jimmy Garoppolo, I'm saying, bro, like, why the hell would you throw that pass? And even before that, you know, Las Vegas had the opportunity before their final offensive drive to go ahead and try to tie this game up. But instead of going for the touchdown and the potential two-point conversion, Josh McDaniels opts to kick the field goal. And many people criticize this decision by Josh McDaniels, but I don't really get what all the criticism is for when, you know, Josh McDaniels at the end of the day still got what he wanted. He kicked the field goal, the defense got to stop, and his offense had the opportunity to win the game with the ball in their hands. If you're an offensive-minded coach, that's how you want the game to play out. You want to be able to kick a field goal, rely on your defense to get a stop for you, and then give your offense the opportunity to go ahead and finish the game. The problem with that is that you got Jimmy Garoppolo, who necessarily isn't really great when you need your quarterback to engineer a game-winning drive and put you in positions to win. So if you're the Las Vegas Raiders, if I'm Josh McDaniels and I got Jimmy G at quarterback, it's like, man, I'd rather go ahead and go for the touchdown, get the two-point conversion, just go ahead and try to win the game when I'm already in easy scoring range for a touchdown versus asking Jimmy G to have to drive me the length of the field to put me in position to win. But I don't necessarily think it was a terrible decision by Josh McDaniels because it still played out the way that he wanted it to. He still got the final result that he wanted, which was his offense having a chance to win the game for him. That's exactly how you draw it up. So I don't really get the outrage over the decision because it still worked out in his favor. And if Las Vegas would have missed the field goal, then okay, it makes sense. But let's not act like Josh McDaniels going for the field goal lost this game for the Raiders. What lost this game for the Raiders was Jimmy Garoppolo playing garbage when the game was on the line. And the Las Vegas Raiders, you know, their defense didn't look good. You're going against one of the worst offenses in the NFL. And this is coming from a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. Like, Matt Canada's play calling still doesn't look good. The offense just was able to look better in this game because Kenny Pickett had a really good performance. And the receiver stepped up and made some really nice plays. Calvin Austin had a big 72-yard touchdown in the first quarter. George Pickens also had a really good game. But Kenny Pickett, you know, he was really solid in this game. He definitely had his best game of the season. He was 16-28, 235 through the air, two touchdowns, no interceptions. This was the kind of performance that you want to see out of Kenny Pickett. And I had a homeboy that was like, Kenny Pickett, ain't that y'all franchise quarterback? I looked at him crazy. I was like, franchise quarterback? 
I don't know about all that, but he's the quarterback. You feel me? And Kenny Pickett did what was needed to win this game. But for the rain game, it still is non-existent. I don't care if the Steelers had a lot of yards on the ground. I think a good way to tell if you have a good rushing attack is looking at how many yards you average per carry. If you're averaging anything under four yards per carry, your run game sucks. And the Steelers only average 3.4 yards per carry anytime they run the football. Najee Harris doesn't look that good. Jalen Warren looks better than Najee Harris just keeping it a bean with you. And I'm a little bit biased because I've been covering Jalen Warren dating back to his time at Oklahoma State. But he just looks like he has way more juice and he's just way more dynamic and explosive than what Najee Harris is. And for a guy like Najee Harris, when you're playing behind the offensive line that's not that great and you don't really have that explosiveness that a guy like Jalen Warren has, I think it's really pivotal that your offensive line that's opening up those running lanes in front of you is really good. When you got a guy like Jalen Warren who's able to be explosive and he has more acceleration than a guy like Najee Harris, even if the blocking isn't there, he still has the agility and the speed to find a small run lane and being able to cram through it and turning a bad run play into a good run play. But Najee Harris doesn't really have that ability that I think Jalen Warren kind of has. Like with Jalen Warren, I think that he's a running back that can do more with terrible blocking than what Najee Harris can. Sometimes you just have running backs like that. Now, I'm not saying that Jalen Warren is just a complete better back than Najee Harris, but I do think right now, given the state of how this offensive line has performed for the Steelers, Jalen Warren right now gives this offense a little bit more juice at running back than what Najee Harris does. Najee Harris, with his skill set being a power back, I think he more so needs good offensive line play versus a guy like Jalen Warren, who's fast enough that if he gets a little bit of space off the edge, he can turn a play that could result in two yards into a 15-yard game. Now, for the Raiders, you know, they're one and two now. Like I told you guys before the season, this team is not going to be good. I think they're only going to win no more than two, maybe three games. And this game kind of confirmed the problems that I had with the Las Vegas Raiders. This offensive line was getting beat up by the defensive line of the Pittsburgh Steelers. And this is an offense that, you know, you think they could be really good because they do have talent. They do got a really good group of wide receivers. Devontae Adams was going crazy. I mean, he had like 170-something yards. He had two touchdowns. There was not a single defensive back on the Steelers roster that could cover Devontae Adams in this game. But outside of him, you got Jacoby Myers. You got Hunter Renfro. But we didn't really see a lot of Hunter Renfro in this game. And there's a couple of other really good skill players that they have on this offense that the Raiders didn't really utilize against this Steelers defense. And hell, even the tight ends, Michael Meyer, he looks, or Michael Mayer, excuse me, he looks pretty good. You would have loved to see him get a little bit more action in this game. It's just that Josh McDaniels and the Las Vegas Raiders, you know, for him to be an offensive-minded coach, they really look flat in this game. And I do get that they were going against one of the best defenses in the NFL, but still, like, you just expect more out of your offense. You know, the Steelers' offense outperformed the Las Vegas Raiders' offense, and despite the turnovers, despite the turnovers, the Steelers' offense still had a pretty good game. And for the Raiders moving forward, 
Josh Jacobs, you can't get him going. This is somebody who led the league in rushing last year, and he had, what, minus two rushing yards in your previous outing against the Buffalo Bills, and in this game, he didn't really look all that better. He was held to just 62 rushing yards, and TJ Watt, he couldn't be stopped neither. The Las Vegas Raiders, I don't think they're a really good team. I think they are one of the worst teams in the NFL. They aren't really well coached. The defense hasn't played great, and it shows because Matt Canada had probably the best play calling that he's had all season, and even in this game, people were calling out the play calling. Le'Veon Bell early in the game was saying, what is this play calling? It looks trash. But the Steelers beat the Las Vegas Raiders. They improved the 2-1 on the season with the 23-18 win, and the Las Vegas Raiders fall the 1-2 on the season with their second straight loss before we move on to the college football portion of this episode leave a like subscribe to the channel if you haven't already we go live monday through thursday at 5 p.m eastern time this isn't just a youtube channel every video that's uploaded on the channel is available in audio format on all podcasting platforms apple google spotify amazon wherever you get your podcast from you can find the jt sports podcast if you want to support us and you enjoy the content and the channel, give us a five-star review. It's the best way to support the channel. Take your smartphone, look up the JT Sports Podcast on Apple and Spotify, and go ahead and give us a five-star review. All right. Clemson is 0-2 in conference play for the first time since 2010. They lost in overtime to the Florida State Seminoles, but I don't think you should ride off the Clemson Tigers yet. And you may be saying, huh? JT, the season is freaking over for Clemson. They lost to Duke. They lost to FSU. What else is there to root for when it comes to Clemson football in 2023? Well, if you watch their game against Florida State, to me, they look like the better team. And I really felt like Clemson should have won that game. You talk about an implosion and just giving the game away. How the hell do you miss a 29-yard go-ahead field goal? They make that field goal, plus they get a stop. They're having a different conversation today than what they are now. You see, Clemson is not a bad team. This is still a really good football team, and it was evident Based on what we saw against Florida State, their offense looked really good. Not only were they having success throwing the football with Kate Klubnik, but they also had a really good game on the ground. They had a completely balanced game on offense, and I felt like their defense played pretty well also. But when the game started to take a turn, it's when Kate Klubnik got hit stick by Kalen Deloach, and as soon as I saw that hit, I was like, yeah, like, the ball game is about to change because... Kay Klubnik didn't see Kalen DeLoach on that blitz, and I know Kalen DeLoach, when he saw that rushing lane coming out, coming wide open, and nobody was about to block him, I know his eyes got wide. That dude came out like a bat out of hell on that blitz. He saw Kay Klubnik, that boy said, oh, boom! Knocks the ball out, gets the scoop and score a touchdown, and then it's 24-24, and then that's when I felt the game started to tilt in Florida State's favor and that's when Clemson started to lose that momentum especially when they missed that game winning field goal from 29 yards out and they had to go to overtime to win it plus they didn't even want to attempt to do anything else when they got the final possession of the 
regular period. So the fact that Clemson was able to hang around with Florida State, the team that dominated LSU, shows me that this is still a really talented football team. You see, just because Dabo Sweeney hasn't taken advantage of the transfer portal and that kind of has been the reason why Clemson is in the position that they are right now still doesn't mean that they don't have a talented roster. The problem with Clemson is that the issues that they have at certain positions aren't going to get fixed. You're going to have to rely on recruiting to fix that, and sometimes it can take two to three years to fix areas of need, such as the offensive line versus using the transfer portal and just improving that position ASAP. But with Clemson, you still got a really good defense. You got a really good defensive line, and your offense showed you in your loss to FSU that they're capable of being able to have good performances. K. Klubnik, for the most part, looks pretty solid. Now, is he as good as what Trevor Lawrence was or Deshaun Watson or even the dude before that and Taj Boyd? No, like K. Klubnik may be the worst quarterback that Clemson has started in the last couple of years, minus DJ Uyunglele. But they can still win with K. Klubnik based on how good their defense is able to play. And I still think that they got a pretty good defense. And when you look at Clemson's upcoming schedule, your next two games are on the road against Syracuse and at home against Wake Forest. You should be able to win those games. So you should be 4-2 and two going into your bye week before you got to go on the road and play the Miami Hurricanes. And you guys already know the team that I root for is all about the U. You feel me? But I still think that Clemson has a very good chance to beat the Miami Hurricanes because of how good they are front and the fact that they have showed the ability to look serviceable on offense. You know, I just think in that loss against Florida State, the game kind of got away for Dabo Sweeney late. The play calling wasn't great. The clock management was questionable. And just the overall execution late in this game costed Clemson to win. Clemson doesn't look like the same program that they once was two or three years ago. You see, what separates good teams from great teams is that you see Florida State and some of their lackluster performances, like in this one and the previous week against Boston College, even though they didn't play their best football, they were still able to win games because they were able to come up big late in games when it mattered the most. And that's all that really matters. You see, it doesn't matter how good you start the game off if you're not able to play a whole entire 60 minutes. And that's something that Clemson hasn't really done a good job at this season. I don't think they do a very good job at playing the whole entire full game. They played a good three quarters in this game. They played a good 45 minutes, but the last 15 got won by FSU, and that's why Florida State won the game. You see, great teams have something that I call the trap door ability. Anytime it seems like they're about to lose, they just find a way to win. Clemson doesn't have that. And it was evident in their win against, in their loss against FSU. But even though they don't have that, that doesn't mean that they're a bad team. This is still a team that can win 9-10 games. They probably could win out the rest of the year. It just depends on how many one-possession games are they going to find themselves in and are they going to have the implosion in those games that they did against the Seminoles. You got to play NC State after you play Miami on the road. You got Notre Dame, Georgia Tech, UNC, South Carolina. I don't really see a single team on Clemson's schedule that I don't think they have a chance at being able to beat. I mean, I still think that they should beat 
their next two opponents, and they should at least be able to beat either Miami or Notre Dame, and they should be able to beat South Carolina and UNC because I don't think North Carolina is that great of a team, and South Carolina, I just think they're a program that right now they're kind of stuck at seven, eight wins. Clemson, don't give up on them yet. This is still a very good team, and the game against FSU kind of got away from them late, but if they can't play that same way that they did for the first three quarters for the remainder of the season and they're just able to execute better in the fourth quarter when they need to go ahead and just seal the victory, I think that Clemson can turn their season around. So I'm not about to count out Clemson and Dabo Sweeney just yet, even though they are off to a slow start. But I like what I saw and their loss to FSU. Now against Duke, you know, they got ran out the building. It wasn't really close. Duke looked like a way better team. But if they were to play Duke again, you wonder if that game would go the same way because week one, teams tend to come out a little bit slow, a little bit rusty. So I'm not giving up on Clemson and Dabo Sweeney just yet. There's still a lot of football to be played, and Clemson is still a really talented football team. It's not like FSU just steamrolled Clemson. Like, Clemson had fair control of that game. They kind of just choked it away. Lane Kiffin is now 0-3 after Ole Miss lost to Alabama this past Saturday, 24-10. And he also is now 0-4 against top 10 teams since he's been the head coach of Ole Miss football. Now, Ole Miss, right? You know, this is a program that people don't expect them every single season to win the SEC West or even compete for the SEC, but you do expect them to have 9, 10 wins every 2 to 3 years, and they're expected to probably be around the 8-win team on a consistent basis. But for some reason, though, you wonder why they can't be more than that. Why can't Lane Kiffin put Ole Miss in a position where they actually are good enough to compete for the SEC? I don't really think it has anything to do with the fact that he can't bring in the kind of recruits that Alabama, LSU, and Georgia can. He does do a pretty good job at utilizing the transfer portal, and I do think that he recruits at a good enough level that Ole Miss is capable of being able that, you know, maybe one or two years here and there, they're able to compete for the SEC because he is one of the best offensive minds in college football. It's just, as a head coach, I think there's a ceiling that your program kind of reaches with Lane Kiffin. And ever since that 10-1 season that they had in 2021, I haven't really seen the same juice with this program since. And 2022 last year, they started out 7-0. And then after that 7-0 start, they went 1-5 to end the season. And with that loss to Alabama, it's really disappointing if you're a Rebels fan because there was a good amount of people out there that believed that Ole Miss could have won that game. And it's not like this is a stacked or great Alabama team. When you look at Alabama from a roster standpoint and you see all the five and four stars, you may think that this is the best team in college football. They have the highest blue chip ratio in all of America. 90% of their roster is made up of five or four stars. But this season, Alabama hasn't really played up to that level. They haven't played like the most talented team in America. They nearly lost the USF. So if you're an old Miss fan and you're Lane Kiffin, you would think that you would have had a great chance of being able to beat Alabama. And even after the game, like Lane Kiffin, he felt like 
you know, we thought we had a great chance to win this game. Well, you didn't get it done because your offense stunk in this game. Alabama's defense pretty much clamped your offense for the whole entire game pretty much outside of your first couple of drives. Jackson Dart didn't look good. Your defense, I didn't really think had the greatest performance. I mean, you got to ask yourself, is Lane Kiffin overrated? Now, I posted a poll asking you guys this in the community section, and 85% of you guys said yes. And, you know, when I look at Lane Kiffin, I like him. I don't have anything against him. I like his personality. He's one of the funniest coaches to keep up with and listen to the press conferences. But when it comes to being able to have a team ready to play against some of the best teams in the SEC, Ole Miss always comes up small. Ole Miss, last season, where was any of their big wins at? Where are any of the signature wins that Lane Kiffin can say that he has on his resume as the head coach of Ole Miss? I mean, you could even beat one of Nick Saban's worst Bama teams. And even though they were playing on home, I mean, it's not like Alabama's offense was lighting the world on fire. I mean, that was a winnable game for Ole Miss. You see, when you have an offensive-minded head coach and you're going up against a team that has a questionable offense but a great defense, you should be able to win those games because, you see, if you can get the 30 points, it's going to be a struggle for Alabama to win because their offense, regardless of how good their defense is, isn't the kind of offense that can consistently put up 30 on you. So if you're an Ole Miss fan, you have every right to believe that you should have won this game and that you could have won this game despite the talent discrepancy. I mean, Alabama isn't really executing all that great offensively. So therefore, with the weapons that Ole Miss has at receiver and how good their offensive line is, this was probably the best year and the best chance that Lane Kiffin had at being able to get a win over his former employer. And if you can't beat Alabama, how are you going to be able to beat LSU? You lost to Arkansas last year. You know, like, are you going to be able to beat Auburn? I mean, there's one thing to win the Egg Bowl. That's cool. The Egg Bowl is your big rivalry game. But what about the other big-time matchups that you have to face off against? You know, like, their next four games are against LSU, Arkansas. Then after their bye week, they got Auburn on the road, then Texas A&M, then Georgia. Do you guys see Ole Miss winning any of those upcoming matchups? I don't think they're going to beat LSU or Arkansas. I think they got a chance to win those games. Or Arkansas game could go either way because Lane Kiffin and Sam, and Sam Pittman are kind of in similar positions right now in terms of where the season is starting to head. But can you beat Auburn on the road? Texas A&M, Georgia? Like, we got to start seeing Ole Miss pull off some big wins under Lane Kiffin. You know, like, we all like Lane Kiffin. At least most of us like Lane Kiffin. But when are we going to start seeing the results? You know, Lane Kiffin is supposed to be this offensive guru. But yet, this offense, their best season, they won 10 games when they had Matt Corral. And ever since then, they haven't had that same amount of success. I mean, even Dan Mullen at Florida was able to get Florida to the SEC championship. And they had a competitive game against Alabama. When are we going to see Ole Miss put up a competitive fight against Alabama? You know, like, it's like every time they play Alabama, you know they're about to get their ass beat. It was never like this when they had Hugh Freeze. Anytime you had Hugh Freeze, there was not a single team that you didn't have a chance at beating. You know, like, I think Lane Kiffin 
gets a little bit too much praise for how good he is on the offensive side of the football, and he doesn't get held accountable for his overall performance as a head coach in the SEC. You see, anywhere else that Lane Kiffin could coach at, this would be a solid resume. You know, he's been to a New Year's Six Bowl game. He does have a pretty good win-loss record at Ole Miss, but Ole Miss is stuck with Lane Kiffin being the head coach. Like, Hugh Freeze at Auburn potentially is good enough that Auburn could be in the SEC championship consistently in the next couple of years, depending on how well he's able to recruit and navigate the transfer portal. Look at Brian Kelly, Nick Saban. Like, some of the best coaches in college football are all in the SEC. And what's going to happen when Oklahoma and Texas start conference play in this conference next year? How far is Ole Miss going to fall? Because they already are one of the middle teams in the SEC. I won't say they're in the top echelon, but they're in that category that you can expect them to be an eight-win, seven-win program consistently. But when Texas and Oklahoma enter the fold, is this still going to be a team that you can look at and say, yeah, they got Lane Kiffin. You can trust them to win seven, eight games. When the Sooners and the Longhorns come, Ole Miss, they may end up being the 5-6 win team because if you're 0-4 against top 10 teams, how are you going to play against some of the best teams in college football that happen to be in this conference? You know, that's my problem with Lane Kiffin. Anytime they go up against some of the best teams in this conference or in all of college football, they struggle. And Ole Miss just seems to be a program that does have the potential to compete for an SEC title every once in a while. I'm not saying that Lane Kiffin needs to have the Rebels competing for the SEC every single season. I'm realistic. I understand college football revolves around recruiting and Ole Miss just based on where they are from a location standpoint. They're not going to be able to bring in the kind of recruit consistently that Alabama and Georgia do. I'm not expecting them to be able to bring in top five, top ten recruiting classes. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that, you know, for Ole Miss, having the resources that Lane Kiffin has, you know, you would think that this would be a program that, you know, every three to four years, they should be able to compete for a title in this conference, such as Auburn, when Gus Malzahn was the head coach there. You see, the thing with Gus Malzahn was that he wasn't that consistent, but you knew that every three years, Auburn was going to be up there competing for an SEC title. Why can't Ole Miss be in that same predicament? Why can't they put themselves in that same conversation where, you know, we may not be a consistent contender within this conference, but Every three to four years, we're capable of being able to pull off a 10-11 win season and we can make it to Atlanta. You know, Lane Kiffin, for somebody that gets so much praise and so much admiration amongst the head coaching world, I don't really see the results. You know, he's a solid head coach, but I don't think he's a good head coach. And you just wonder, you know, with how tough their schedule is about to get, if their season is about to go left and if we really are about to start looking at Lane Kiffin in a whole entirely different light. I mean, I love Lane Kiffin. He's one of my favorite coaches in college football, but damn, 0-3 against Bama, 0-4 against top 10 teams. When is Ole Miss going to get their signature win? When are they going to get a win that really can put them on the map? A win that Rebels fans can really look at and say, oh yeah, like this is the biggest win of the Lane Kiffin era. Like, they've yet to have a win like that. 
You can't beat one of the worst Bama teams that Nick Saban has ever had. And what are you going to do against LSU and Arkansas in the next couple of weeks? Are you going to be able to beat Auburn? We are about to find out a lot about Lane Kiffin and this old Miss program within the next month. Because, I mean, this season, they're 2-1 and one right now. It hasn't gotten off the rails, but you look at how last season went and you look at how this season possibly could go. I mean, they could start 2-0. And then lose their next four games and easily be two and four. You know, I think Lane Kiffin is, I'm not going to say he's the most overrated head coach in college football. Because I definitely think there are way more overrated coaches such as Ryan Day and, you know, Lincoln Riley per se. But when I look at Lane Kiffin, I definitely think that this is somebody who definitely could be doing a lot better than what he's doing right now, Ole Miss. And I know I'm not a coach, and I don't really know everything that goes into being a great coach in college football, but Lane Kiffin gets so much praise and so much admiration for somebody that's 0-3 against Bama and 0-4 against top 10 teams. You're in the best conference in college football. You got to be able to beat some of the best teams in college football. And I just don't think Ole Miss is capable of doing that under Lane Kiffin. And that's why I think he's just a little bit overrated. Could Kansas stun Texas this week? Both of these Big 12 teams are walking into this game 4-0. And Texas is a 17-point favorite going into this matchup. Now, Kansas, they got a really great quarterback and Jalen motherfucking Daniels. And if you don't know who Jalen Daniels is, you need to watch some highlights because this is one of the best quarterbacks in all of college football. And before he got injured last year, Kansas was 5-0. They were ranked in the top 25 and he was a legitimate contender for the Heisman Trophy. Now, this season, Kansas is going into this game once again, ranked inside the top 25. And they got one of the best teams in the Big 12 this season. Their offense has averaged over 30 points per game in every game that they played in so far. And their defense looks way better this season than what it did last year. But how are they going to handle themselves up against the behemoth that is Texas? Because Texas right now, they're on a warpath. They pretty much have obliterated nearly every single team they played, minus Bama. They didn't blow them out, but they did beat Alabama by a pretty fair margin. And this is a Texas team that doesn't really have too many weaknesses at all. This is a talented team at every single position. Good quarterback play, great offensive line, great running backs, great receivers, great defense. Meanwhile, Kansas, you go into this game, and if you're going to pull off the upset, you're going to need to be able to match Texas point for point. Now, I think that Kansas, they can put points on Texas, on Texas defense. Now, I don't know if they can put up 30 on Texas defense. But I would be a little bit surprised if Texas just came into this game and they just neutralized this Kansas offense because Kansas has one of the most experienced offenses in all of college football. They got a veteran offensive line. They got a veteran group of receivers, veteran quarterback and running back. So the experience is there. And they are going to be going on the road, playing in a hostile environment. We know it's tough to win in Austin. We get that. But when you have an experienced team, you should be able to go into big role matchups like this and be able to keep your composure and not have a lot of penalties, not have a lot of big game-breaking mistakes. My thing with Kansas really is going to be defensively, how are they going to hold up? Do they have enough size to match up with Texas up front? 
And even if this game does end up being a shootout, you know, if let's say Texas offense has the ball in their hands to end this game and they got to go down the field and win the game, you like Texas chances against this Kansas defense. Now, Kansas offensively against Texas offense, let's say this is a one-possession game and Jalen Daniels has the ball in his hands with a chance to win the game for Kansas. Do you think that Texas defense can hold up in that department? Because at that point, if Texas defense gives up over 30 to Kansas, then you got to think that Kansas has a pretty good chance to win this game. I mean, they've already done kept up with your offense, and defensively, Texas hasn't been able to slow you down. So if you give Jalen Daniels opportunity to win this game and they need a go-ahead touchdown to win it, I like Kansas' chances. I really am a big fan of Jalen Daniels. And Kansas, I think with the experience that they have offensively, they can make this game very interesting. Now, in terms of them being able to pull off the upset, I still lean Texas. I don't know if Texas will cover that 17. I do think that Texas can win this game by at least 10 points or more. But I do think that Kansas offensively, just with the talent they have and the experience they have, I do think their offense can be formidable against Texas. And I know you Longhorn fans are going to make it seem like Kansas ain't a great team, but when you look at Kansas compared to the rest of the Big 12, I think it's fair to say that this is a top four team in this conference this year. And you very well could end up playing Kansas again if you're Texas in the Big 12 championship game this year. I think that they have a good enough team that they could beat nearly anybody in this conference. You see, Texas... It's just a way better team than everybody else in the Big 12. It's not really close. Even the gap between them and Oklahoma is pretty considerable when you look at the talent discrepancy. But other than Texas, I think that most teams in the Big 12 are pretty evenly matched in terms of talent. Like, Texas has the big talent discrepancy, and then second behind them is Oklahoma. Then after that, everybody else is pretty much on the same level. When you got a superstar quarterback like Jalen Daniels, and as long as you have a solid team around him, a solid offensive line with some solid pass catchers, I don't really think there's too many games that you don't have a chance at being able to stay competitive in. You know, we saw Colorado get blown out by Oregon last week, but that's because even though they had Shadur Sanders, they didn't have a great offensive line. Their offensive line got obliterated. If Kansas can't handle themselves on the offensive line and give Jalen Daniels time to throw the football, they can hang with Texas, at least for the first three quarters, until Texas ultimately is able to pull away in the fourth quarter, potentially. You know, Kansas has a very solid roster, but do they have enough depth to last a full four-quarter game with Texas? And Jalen Daniels, you know, if Kansas is going to win this game, he's going to need to have the best performance ever. I mean, up to this point, Jalen Daniels has delivered some really masterclass efforts, but this is going to have to be the best game of his Kansas Jayhawk career. This isn't going to be one of those games where Jalen Daniels can win just having a good performance. He needs to have a superstar performance. We need to see the Jalen Daniels that we saw last year before he suffered that elbow injury when he was a Heisman contender. He still has played at a really high level. He still, in my opinion, looks like one of the 10 best quarterbacks in college football, but I haven't really seen Jalen Daniels have one of those superstar performances like I saw him put up all last season. If Kansas can have a great game out of Jalen Daniels and this offense 
and the supporting cast that around them can be able to have good productive days also and they can put points up on Texas defense they got a shot at winning this game but I just don't know if Texas defense is going to allow Kansas to hit 30 in this game, that's really going to be the magical number for Kansas. If they want to be able to stay around in this game, you're going to have to be able to keep up with Texas offense because I'm pretty confident that Texas offense is going to have no, no problem putting points up on Kansas defense. Kansas defense definitely has improved tremendously. I mean, their defense was god awful last year. You wonder if they even knew that defense was a thing. But this season, even though this defense has come around and they do look better, this is one of the most prolific offenses in all of college football. I mean, you got Isaiah Nayer, you got Jordan Winnington, you also have, who's that receiver? I mean, they just got a bunch of receivers, man. They're so stacked that it's receivers that I can't even think about, like Xavier Worthy, A.D. Mitchell. I mean, it's just weapon on top of weapon with this offense. So for Kansas defensively, if their offense can't go point for point with Texas and they can't at least get the 30, I don't think that Kansas is really going to be able to keep this game within one possession. Texas has a really good defense this year, and they had a really great performance against Alabama. And I do think that there is going to be a game this season where Texas defense kind of is a little bit off. Is this going to be the game? Maybe, but I kind of doubt it. You know, I think that Texas this year definitely should be able to run the table in the Big Ten or in the Big 12, excuse me. They're the most talented team in this conference. They have been for the last couple of years, but they now are starting to execute at an insanely high level. I don't think this is the Texas team that we've seen of the past where, yeah, they got the talent, but they don't show up consistently. You know, they'll have a good performance one week and then come out a little bit rusty the next week. Like, this is a consistent Texas team. They beat the teams that they're supposed to beat, and they don't really play down the competition. At least we haven't seen them play down the competition yet. Could this be the first occurrence that it happens? Maybe, but if Kansas wants to win this game, their defense is going to be able to have to slow down one of the best offenses in college football, and I don't really think that's going to be able to happen even if this offense can go point for point with Texas, you know, your defense is still going to have to get a key stop. And I trust Texas defense more to get a key stop than I do Kansas defense. So could Kansas keep this game close? Potentially they could. But I do ultimately think that Texas probably wins this game by at least 14 points or more. I think Kansas can put some points up offensively. I can see them getting a 24-27, but seeing them crack 30 would kind of surprise me. And Texas defense will be tested in this game because this is the best quarterback that Texas has played up to this point, and it probably would be the best quarterback that they play for the remainder of this season. And my guy Jackson Wages in the comment section says Texas played down to Wyoming for three and a half quarters. Yes, they did. But you got to remember that this was coming off a big win after they beat Alabama. So, of course, they were kind of going to play a little bit down to Wyoming after coming off a big win like that. But against Kansas, you know, this is a team that's ranked inside the top 25. They got a really good quarterback. I don't think anybody on Texas is taking Kansas likely. Unless Kansas can get a couple of big stops defensively, I don't know if they can pull off this upset. 
I just think that this is a game that you're relying on Kansas to just match Texas point for point, and they definitely could do it, but with how good Texas defense is, I think they're capable of being able to get a stop or two. Even if Kansas goes off offensively, I still think that Texas can get more stops defensively than what Kansas can, and that's why I ultimately think that the chances of an upset occurring in this game are pretty small. I do think that Kansas has a chance, but if I had to give you a confidence level about Kansas being able to win this game one through five, I probably got to go one, maybe two if I'm being a little bit generous because they do got Jalen Daniels. And if this team around them does play good and Jalen Daniels has a superstar performance, they can stay around in this game and keep it competitive. But I don't know if their defense can get a couple of key stops against this Texas offense, but we will see. Texas host Kansas this Saturday, 3.30 p.m. Eastern time kickoff on ABC. They are a 17-point favorite heading into this game. This is it for this episode of the JT Sports Podcast. I appreciate you guys for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us with a five-star review. We're greatly appreciate it. It's the best way to support the channel. It only takes 10 seconds to do. All you got to do is go to the description down below, click on either the Apple or Spotify link, and give us a five-star review. Or type in the JT Sports Podcast and whichever podcasting service you use and give us a five-star review. Other than that, we appreciate everybody that tuned in into today's episode, and we will see you guys tomorrow with another episode of the JT Sports Podcast.